Welcome to Odyssey. Odyssey is a show where we discuss the frontier of crypto's opportunities and challenges in driving real-world impact in the societies of tomorrow. Odyssey is produced thanks to the support of SAFE and Ambar Wallet. SAFE is the most trusted decentralized custody protocol and collective asset management platform on Ethereum and the EVM. Ambar Wallet is an advanced smart wallet that utilizes account abstraction, acting as a gateway to Web3 applications and providing users with secure and effortless management of their digital assets. You'll hear more about them later on in the show. Let's get to it, friends. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Odyssey. On this podcast, we have the founder and CEO of Ambire Wallet, Evo. So throughout this conversation, Evo and I talk about his journey getting into crypto, really following the idea maze with regards to different challenges and solutions he's seen, not just purely in the crypto space, but also across payments, ad networks, so on and so forth. We discuss some of the challenges in a lot of the wallets that are being developed today and some of the solutions that Ambire sees and is developing and implementing. So whether that is email recovery, batching transactions, parsing and visualizing the data in much easier, more accessible ways. They're really taking a very holistic to how we can better think about and develop wallet infrastructure. Evo shares some founder advice, being a product-led founder that really focuses on holistic development of solutions for their product. I thought that was a really fascinating conversation. We explore the wallet wars as well with this really exciting and rapidly developing space. We discuss how a wallet and generally crypto teams can navigate this whole idea maze uh, with regards to developers, driving more adoption, targeting crypto natives. thought this was super great to get his insights with regards to how founders can think about how they can launch to market, think about product market fit and so on. Another really great part of this conversation, and this is largely where we end things, is we discuss other use cases that he sees in the crypto ecosystem. We touch on decentralized finance, which we both are super bullish on and some real world use cases and utility for the same. It was great to dive into all these different subjects with Evo, and I think you'll really enjoy this conversation. Evo, it's awesome to have you on the podcast. Awesome to be here. Hey, everyone. Really looking forward to diving into wallets, as you know, and as a lot of the listeners will be aware, my thesis is that wallets are really at the heart of mass adoption. So I was really keen to get this conversation set up and explore your thoughts and thesis with regards to where wallets are heading, some of the technological innovations that are coming to the space as well. So let's dive into that. Evo, I love I love kind of getting people's stories and their whole trajectory into crypto. I think it's a really important sort of facet of our journeys as well. So yeah. give us the, the rundown, like who's Evo, you know, how did you end up in the space and, and what's your whole trajectory been like? Yeah, um, so I'm Evo, I'm the co-founder uh, and CEO of Ambire Wallet. And really, um, I started coding at a really young age, uh, entirely self-taught. Uh, I started coding when I was 10 years old, and back then I did um, games. Um, then I moved uh, to systems programming. I did some security stuff over the years. Uh, I made my own Linux distribution, uh, so I'm really big into open source as well. Uh, and then in 2013, or um, no, 2012, um, I was still in high school, uh, and I discovered Bitcoin because I wanted to use a file sharing service, a file synchronization service, kind of like Dropbox, uh, which only had two payments, Fiat and uh, and Bitcoin. And I was like, what is this Bitcoin? Because obviously, as someone in high school, you don't have your own money to spend with. Uh, to spend. So uh, I looked into Bitcoin and I started mining it on my CPU 
So I spent almost all of it on uh, on on the file storage, uh, but it was kind of my first uh, like first thing in crypto. And uh, in in 2013, uh, I started my first company with my co-founder, uh, a media center, a video player, more specifically. Uh, that currently today um, has surpassed 25 million users, uh, and I'm still an advisor there. Um, we transferred it to a different management, but it's doing fantastically, um, and it's basically because of the product foundations that we set up there. And then because of this media center, uh, in 2017, we were figuring out how to monetize it, and we figured out that all advertising networks are really fraudulent or suffer from from someone else's fraud so uh, we figured out at, at this point we were discovering ethereum so we figured out a really neat way to solve this problem through ethereum uh, by making a decentralized fully transparent um, ad network called adex and we launched it on ethereum and it was the first payment channel solution pretty much uh, live on mainnet and uh, it grew to over um, to, to process uh, over a billion advertising impressions uh, so in adex we found that publishers and advertisers were kind of like marketing people uh, not technical people they had huge difficulties uh, signing up onto metamask uh, and uh, generally using Ethereum. So they had, um, they were super confused by seed phrases. Uh, they were super confused by the fact that you have to have your wallet funded with ETH. So like those people, they would fund their wallet with uh, like stable coins to pay for the ads uh, and then discover that they cannot send a transaction because it, they, they don't have any ETH. Um, so that's extremely confusing to someone who is used to paying the fee uh, in the currency that you're transacting with, uh, like with traditional banks or traditional apps. So we built, um, we built a wallet inside of the Adex platform, uh, which solved this uh, through account abstraction. Back then, uh, we just called it a smart contract wallet. Uh, and we implemented stuff like account recovery, paying gas with stable coins, uh, signing up with an email and password without compromising the non-custodial nature, and then uh, then this product spun off to uh, spun into Ambire. Uh, this was back in 2018 when we first did it in Adex, uh, and in 2021 we spun it off uh, into a different product, and we figured out that this all of those UX improvements on top of Ethereum and on top of the the entire EVM ecosystem uh, were better suited to be um, an independent product that you can use with any with any DeFi app or in general with any DApp. So basically, that's my whole journey, and you can see how one thing leads to another, and it flows into this like user-driven approach where we see a difficulty and we see that the difficulty is um, is a good opportunity so then we build a product for it uh, so yeah that's pretty much my my story and how Amber was born awesome yeah i mean definitely just like doing a really great job of, of navigating that idea maze right where you start with um, a media center and then you realize there's inefficiencies in the market in the advertising yeah. space and then you want to integrate crypto native payments into that and then you realize that the wallet onboarding process is like yeah, super cumbersome. So yeah. it's the next thing that you Exa want to exactly. Right? Not, and I think yeah. that I was gonna say yeah. nothing. Nothing in this uh, in this like life journey is like okay. Um, what's a good idea for me to do? Like everything comes uh, super organically from seeing a growing pain. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of entrepreneurs these days, especially in the crypto ecosystem, it's like they'll just look around and be like, all right, like what problem do I want to solve? And unless you have like that on the ground experience, it's hard for you to fully like 
have a grasp of the problems out there, right? And and so I love that sort of that's Ambire's story and and where things emerge. So give us the so what like what is Ambire kind of you, you've mentioned a few of the features that you have implemented in there, but give us a sort of full on overview. And at this point, the the audience is is familiar with with some of the the information we've been passing along the podcast as well, but would love to hear it directly from from your words. The way we summarize it is that uh, Ambire is a Web3 wallet uh, that makes crypto self-custody easy and secure for everyone. So uh, what we mean by that is uh, we really focus on UX and security and we believe that those two concepts are really interconnected between each other uh, because many of the security issues um, in, uh, in crypto in general, they don't really come from like technical problems, but they come from bad UX, poor UX. So like you will see, um, so you will see like a lot of FUD going around for you know, regarding Trezor, how you can extract the private key, how you can extract the seed. But how many people were hacked because someone extracted the seed from their Trezor? I would bet that it's close to zero, but how many people were hacked because of phishing? Um, so my point here is that most of the security issues and most of the most of the most of the times people lose their money is because of UX. So this is what we are addressing. We are making uh, we we are working towards a wallet uh, which is um, as easy to use as possible uh, without sac- sacrificing functionality. Awesome, awesome. So give us the you know I always love situating like the problem and the solution and and really being very clear about that especially for the folks that are out there you know wallets are are super hot so give us the, the you know each of the different problems that you've seen as you were building Adex yeah. and generally as you continue to mature Ambire and like you know the, insert the solutions that you've plugged in because yeah. I you know having used Ambire as well like I was super impressed by you know, it, it literally feels like you're logging into a Web2 platform to some yeah, extent, absolutely. right? Um, and gives you all the different like capacities. And, and so the user experience is like super functional, very fluid. So give us all the problems you've seen in the wallet space and, and how you've responded to each of those. Yeah, um, so that's a, that's a great way to put uh, to put the question. So I would start with, uh, I would immediately start with the signup. A big problem in the signup is that you need to write down a seed phrase. Uh, this is a problem not only for people who are new and unfamiliar with the concept. This is a problem for experienced people as well. Because from from the point of view of an experienced person, you're like, let me try this MetaMask alternative because I don't really like MetaMask. So then the MetaMask alternative makes you go through um, a cumbersome process, um, which doesn't always equate a long process, right? I'm not sure if, uh, if this makes sense. You can have a, a multi-step onboarding. Um, but you can have a single step onboarding, which is really complicated. Uh, and writing down the seed phrase is, is an example of this. Uh, because if the wallet requires you to verify it afterwards, uh, then you cannot just, like, you don't have the time. Most people nowadays do not have the time to, if you're new, to learn new concepts. And if you're experienced, to just um, deal with bullshit and write stuff down just to, just to get a taste of the wallet. So you should be able to get a taste of the wallet very quickly. Uh, and very easily uh, and if you are new to the space uh, then uh, the seed phrase doesn't make any sense to you whatsoever so um, it's a pa- it's kind of like a password but you have to write it down which goes absolutely in the opposite way of everything else you're taught um, you're usually you, you're here the advice don't write your password on a piece of paper uh, and that's exactly what happens and it's worse than that um, because it's not a password it's your money so it's not access key to your money but it is your money it's literally 
uh, it's literally the thing that the private key is um, is derived from. So um, it's not even good uh, good in terms of like any real world analogy, right? So if you gi- if you give uh, to a person the analogy that this is the key. Um, that's a wrong analogy because if you lose a key in the real world, you can get a locksmith, um, and you can get, uh, or you can have a copy of the key, uh, or you can have like a master key. You can have many, many security schemes. Uh, but with this, uh, it's like uh, the best analogy would be uh, someone is like stealing your safe, uh, where all of the money is. Uh, and so yeah, my my point here is is that um, it's a really hard concept for people to grasp. And even if you've already grasped it, um, if you if you have to go through it again just to get a taste of the wallet, then you churn out uh, you churn out the users. So that's the that's the first thing that we're solving. And uh, the only way that you can solve this uh, is through um, smart accounts or account abstraction, um, because you need that programmability. A quick a quick sidebar on what account abstraction is. Um, a lot of controversy around this term and it's, it changed its meaning a lot, but I would say that it, the simplest way to explain it is um, you have programmable accounts and you make programmable accounts exist uh, and get adopted. So account abstraction is every, I would say, every technology that, uh, that makes uh, smart accounts or uh, programmable accounts get adopted. So you need programmable accounts because you, um, you untie uh, this relation between uh, having the account secured by one private key uh, versus um, programming the account to be able to, to be secured by multiple private keys, by time locks, to have uh, recovery logic. So all of these things are not possible with traditional accounts because traditional accounts are equal to that one private key. They're equal. You lose the private key, the account is gone. Uh, you uh, have the private key copied by someone else, the account is compromised. Uh, and this is something that program that smart accounts which are programmable can solve because you can put you can put stuff in code like let's get this account uh, be a multisig uh, let's have a second factor authentication on this account through a, through a mobile phone uh, let's have a time lock if you want to spend over this amount of money and all of this allows you to remove the seed phrase because you no longer need to care about one single private key. Uh, you can ca- you can have multiple private keys, you can use your phone uh, to store the second private key, uh, you can have a setup where you have the account recovered by email, uh, which also can get secure, uh, can get really secure, I can get into that later. So yeah, this is the first problem that we're solving, the first big one. So um, regarding the email, uh, we have something called email authentication where you can create an account with email uh, and it, it's a lot of technical explanation to, to explain how this works but basically it's a multisig under the hood um, from a certain point it will also use DKIM which is a protocol that every email provider supports where each email is cryptographically signed so you can leverage this cryptography that you already have in the real world uh, you can leverage, leverage it to secure your account and to enable account recovery um, then the second problem that we solve is um, the onboarding problem of like um, not having ether for gas uh, or even having to pay the gas before the transaction. Because imagine you create a new wallet and you only use this wallet in some sort of off-chain way, right? You sign messages uh, and then you receive an airdrop uh, or, or even you want to claim a Tornado Cash ticket. Uh, that's also a great example. And if you don't have any funds on this account, there's no way to do it. So uh, the way 
The way we solve this is first of all by allowing you to pay the fee in different currencies, in stable coins. And then second of all, and this is really hard for people to wrap their heads around, uh, but it, it makes a lot of sense when you get used to it, is that the fee gets deducted at the end of the transaction. It's still an atomic process. It's still either the, the entire transaction fails or the entire transaction succeeds with the fee payment, but you pay the fee after, after code execution which means that you can claim a Tornado Cash ticket without having any funds in the account before that. So this is mind-blowing uh, because on Ethereum, even, if, you even if, um, if you're claiming Ether, you cannot pay this transaction fee in Ether because you need to have the Ether beforehand. And this opens a huge privacy vulnerability because you need to fund the wallet with Ether from somewhere, which already doxes you. Um, and this is a huge advantage of our of our way of doing things that you can pay the fee from the money that you're gonna get in the transaction. Uh, another example of this would be like um, a Uniswap trade. The first thing that you do on an account is like someone sends you a shitcoin, um, and it's kind of liquid, but you cannot pay the fee with it uh, because we don't accept it. But you can swap it to a stable coin, and by swapping it to a stable coin you would be able to pay the fee. So that's uh, that's another huge UX issue that we solve. Basically, the onboarding uh, and the fact that you need Ether or the fact that you need the money beforehand. So that's something that, that we completely resolve. Again, to summarize, by taking stable coins as well as Ether. And I talk about Ether, but we support multiple EVM networks. So this also applies to like Matic, um, Phantom, uh, Avalanche, um, Optimism Ether, Arbitrum Ether, so yeah. Uh, and then uh, allowing you to pay the fee uh, post-transaction. So yeah, that's the second big thing that we solve. And uh, the third big thing, I will just touch upon this, is transaction batching. You can do multiple things in the same transaction. This is huge when interacting with DeFi, because DeFi usually, DeFi dApps, they want you to do like a million things. And if we can simplify this and make it like one simple zap, uh, one transaction, this simplifies a lot. And this is particularly noticeable with ERC20 approvals um, because I've seen a lot of people who get onboarded onto crypto in the last bull market. Uh, they want to use Uniswap. They do use Uniswap and then they sign the first transaction thinking that this is the swap. And then after this, they discover that they have to sign a second transaction, which is the actual swap. And the first one was actually an approval. Uh, which, of course, doesn't mean anything to them, right? Um, it's like a completely foreign concept. It doesn't have any meaning uh, without any context. So uh, you paid like $5 for gas and you think that this is going to do your swap, uh, but then you discover that your swap costs $40. And that's a huge issue and it churns out many people and many people think basically Ethereum is a scam because I got asked for $5 to do my swap and then after 30 seconds I got asked for another 40 Like, what? what is this? Uh, it's, it's literally like to someone who doesn't know the context, it's literally a scam. So the way we solve this is we batch those two things together so that you don't even notice the approval. You don't even know it's there. And many people have been uh, criticizing the ERC20 standard, but from a technical perspective, it's really solid. Uh, it just requires um, this batching to be implemented in wallets uh, for it to work well. Otherwise, you have to do a separate transaction and wait for it to get mined and etc. Uh, and then the final thing that isn't related to account abstraction uh, that I would say is really big and really, really significant is parsing the transaction and visualizing the transaction in a human-friendly way. Uh, we've seen so many people burned because they 
they don't know what a tra- what the transaction means they do not understand hex they do not read hex right so uh, you see a bunch of uh, code when you're signing the transaction and you don't know what it means so um, we solve this just by displaying the transaction in a human friendly way and uh, account abstraction does help here a little bit because it allows us to also simulate the transaction and tell you hey your balances are gonna change by this much and like you're gonna have one ether taken away from your account and then uh, 1800 usdt go into your account so then you can figure out oh yeah that's that's exactly what i'm doing i'm swapping tokens so so this makes sense um but if something is wrong uh, you would see interacting with unknown contract you would see that the ether gets deducted but you don't get any stable coins so you'll figure out that it's probably not a real swap but it's a scam so yeah that's i would say that those are all of the pain points and all of the ways that we are addressing them. Awesome. I, I love how you've taken this very kind of holistic approach to the onboarding process is complicated. The fact that you have to pay yeah. for gas in the native network token is complicated. Recovering your account is complicated. Yeah. You know, having to sign multiple transactions is complicated. And being able to build this like really robust, holistic product around that, I think is super important. Yep. Whereas a lot of folks I've seen like, focus on like yeah. just one of those yeah. many aspects, right? Being able to really like take a very holistic approach and say, we want to address all of these collectively is, is a huge Absolutely. undertaking. So on yeah. that point, yeah. Like, I'd love to hear about how's it been going at Ambire? Like what, where have you seen, you know, you, you're obviously like a very product driven founder. So I, I'd love to learn more about like, how, you know, what, as you keep navigating and as you keep shipping and building, like what does adoption look like? How have you managed to navigate kind of user requests and needs and, and all the innovation that you're bringing to the wallet ecosystem? So that's a great question. Currently, um, we've surpassed a uh, hundred and something thousand users, uh, which we're semi-happy with. And uh, th- that's a really good, good point about the holistic approach. I think that, mm, that a wallet cannot make it without, um, like specifically, if you're catering to an audience of crypto natives like we are, uh, you cannot afford to lack features compared to MetaMask. So you have to kind of do it all. Uh, because MetaMask does seem like a simple product, uh, but at this point it's like pretty advanced and it has a lot of things. A lot of wallets focus on only a subset of features uh, and that's that has it, its positives, right? Because it's much easier to build a product and it's much easier to get people hyped around this. Like for example, Avocado Wallet has uh, a small subset of what we have as features. Uh, but the cross-network functionality, which again is something that we have, managed to like attract a lot of people because like it's a meme. Uh, and when you associate your product with like one particular feature, uh, that's great for marketing because people can can associate your wallet with like one one thing that someone else doesn't have that you have. So building wallets based on just like one additional feature or a few uh, has its advantages, but we think that. Um, we think that unless you you bring every, everything to the table, you cannot cater to to the crypto native. Uh, because as much as we think of MetaMask as a simple product, it's actually not. Uh, and at this point, it's pretty feature packed, even though that's not obvious. And um, un- unless someone matches that, uh, it's really hard hard to compete with it. And when it comes to navigating user requests, uh, overall we. Uh, you, you said it yourself, we have a product-driven approach. Uh, we wait for um, for something to become loud enough, like for a user request to become loud enough, and then we prioritize it and ship it. And we've shipped in the last year like tons of features. 
Um, in hindsight, I would say that this wasn't the most brilliant move, uh, and uh, it turned out that um, this this niche that we're going after of crypto natives, uh, they prefer they would strongly prefer an extension uh, over the web version that we're currently building. There's tons of reasons for that. Uh, one of them is psychological. It's purely psychological. Is the fact that people do not associate web uh, web wallets uh, with um, with wallets actually uh, they don't associate web apps with wallets they associate them with uh, uh, with like social networks um, dApps um, not necessarily with something that's like a, a root product not something that's attached to your um, to your computer at all times and something that like not a phone but an application so we need to be we kind of need to be the phone right we need to be the tool uh, we don't need to be the application so. From that perspective, uh, it makes sense to, to build an extension. From another perspective, um, we, um, we need to, in order to manage private keys within the wallet, uh, we need to go the extension route, route. Because the web app is not a platform which is well suited enough for, for um, storing private keys. And this was fine in version 1 because version 1 doesn't, doesn't rely on on storing private keys that much, uh, if, if at all. Um, we use multi-sig schemes under the hood. Uh, we heavily rely also on people having hardware wallets as well. So um, the first version wasn't really something meant for being, being necessarily a software wallet. When it is a software wallet, it's used as a multi-sig, so it's secure. Uh, it's even more secure than traditional EOAs. Uh, but for the second version, for the extension, we actually want to allow importing legacy accounts. So we want to allow importing uh, EOAs. And for this, there's no other way to do it securely other than an extension. Another reason is connection to dApps is really way easier in an extension. Um, it's uh, okay with the web application. You can do it with Wallet Connect, but you have to switch through tabs and it's kind of cumbersome. Uh, and also Wallet Connect doesn't fully work perfectly all of the times. And most importantly of all, having an extension which is always pinned, always right there, is just the easier UX. Uh, it's just easier than having to copy the World Connect link around. So there's many, many reasons that catering to this audience of crypto natives requires an extension and uh, is better suited for the extension, um, extension form factor. Uh, and also when you think about the market as a whole, Every single wallet is going after some different audience. Every single wallet is going after the newbies uh, or going after like a specific network or going after um, going after like specific uh, DeFi actions like InstaDub was in the past. And when you think about it, it's mind-blowing that no one other than Rabi uh, and maybe Frame is going after the MetaMask audience, the core MetaMask audience. No one is going after the crypto natives who are struggling with MetaMask because even though MetaMask has improved a lot in the last years, even crypto natives do not get it. Even crypto natives struggle with it a lot. Uh, and we, um, most product-driven founders, they, they don't think of it that way. They think of it, oh, that, that person is a crypto native, he's a DGEN, he can figure everything out. He already knows this product. He, he doesn't have an issue with MetaMask. But the reality is not... It's not, it's not so. The reality is that everyone is struggling um, with, with pretty much every single wallet. So even when you, when you look at the audience of MetaMask itself, no one is targeting it and no one is specifically thinking of how to make life easy for this core community of power users. 
If you haven't yet explored the benefits of smart wallets and account abstraction, you should definitely check out Ambire Wallet. It is the wallet you wish you had when you started your crypto journey. Ambire works with all EVM chains out there, the layer twos like Arbitrum, Optimism, Polygon, but also non-Ethereum ecosystems like Avalanche and Phantom. You'll never have to spend your valuable ETH again, because Ambire Wallet lets you pay for gas in stablecoins, one of the many perks of smart accounts. The web application of Ambire Wallet offers a number of fiat on-ramps for seamless conversion of fiat currency into crypto. And if you prefer self-custody with a safety net, you can recover a lost Ambire Wallet using an email address and password without giving the Ambire team any control over your funds. Ambire Wallet is available on both mobile and web platforms, providing a range of features including a gas-saving mechanism, effortless integration with multiple dApps, transaction batching, and more cool functionalities to enhance your digital asset management experience. Stay tuned as an extension of Ambire Wallet is coming soon, TM, to expand its accessibility even further. Want to get your hands on the Ambire Wallet? Check it out at ambire.com. And now, let's get back to the show. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you, right? Like, I think there's, I mean, even even this notion of a, like, super technically savvy crypto native is somewhat of a misconceived notion. Like, I think you have your developer oriented crypto natives that are able to like, you know, navigate all the technical issues that arise with using different wallets. And then there's like the folks who are, yeah, can, can sort of navigate it, right? Or can like kind of piece the piece things together. And then you have your crypto natives that like maybe came in over the course of the last bull run that like love buying and selling NFTs. Like, those guys are crypto natives to some extent as well, right? And so, but but there are so many different audiences, even within the crypto native space that I think that one, being able to build this, like, okay, we want to build uh, a, a feature kind of wallet that can do everything for you and makes it like much easier. It seems like definitely the right choice yeah. to go. Yeah, um, yeah. absolutely. Um, and I was going to say, uh, I know people from 2017 who are still struggling, who've used MetaMask like on average, like two or three times a week. Uh, and to this day, they don't really understand what's going on. And uh, great anecdote, uh, a few people who I know who are long-time users, really like from 17, 18, um, they didn't know that when you import a private key into MetaMask, this private key doesn't get associated to your seed. So like when you re-import MetaMask on a different machine, you import the seed and you don't have all your accounts. So great anecdote still no one still knows what the heck is going on exactly and as you said it's like oftentimes people have this association of like oh if i lose the key i'll be able to recover it same way you know i think the the mental models that we use with wallets are somewhat misplaced and as a consequence i think like you onboarding yeah. mass users is going to always be a challenge so with that in mind like i'd love to get your thoughts yep. on what are the other challenges that you're seeing in the space and like you're, you're clearly like you know, you've shown that you've navigated this idea maze, but like, what are the other challenges and, and ideas that you think are, are really, you know, you mentioned the extension as well. Like what's what's on the horizon for Ambire that you're wanting to put more focus towards? So we want to, more, we want to put more focus into brand awareness and um, trust, trustability um, because the biggest challenge of, of getting a wallet adopted is getting people to trust you. Uh, and there are good reasons for this uh, because most people do not realize on a conscious level, but maybe they feel like they feel like this is true, uh, that wallets can rug you in multiple ways, unfortunately. Uh, even open source wallets, uh, if you're not uh, like reading the source code yourself, uh, there's like a lot of room, even if 
even if everything on chain is correct, even if and everything with the private key generation um, is all right, um, there, you always have this vulnerability of having to trust the wallet provider to some extent. I wish this wasn't true. Uh, and we're we're doing our best to mitigate it. Uh, like for example, we're fully open source. Uh, you can always run Ambire from uh, you can always run Ambire from source. Uh, we do security independent security audits. Uh, so uh, un- unfortunately, though, the reality is that adopting a wallet requires a great bit of trust, um, regardless of whether you do understand why or you don't understand why. Like every, everyone is very cautious with their money. Uh, and this is also part of the reason that we're going after uh, power users and crypto natives and not going after um, new people. Uh, it may sound counterintuitive at first, but when you when you think about it, when you analyze the market, when you like listen around and try to like um, be in tune with, with your surroundings, uh, you will notice that everyone who is kind of new and crypto curious relies on, on recommendations from their friends. Uh, you ask someone like, "What do you use?" and the someone who who you know, who has been in crypto for longer than you, says MetaMask. Uh, and so um, you need to you need to change the opinion of the people who are actually the opinion leaders. You need to change the opinion of the people who are the hardcore users of MetaMask, and you need to convert. Um, even like one or two percent of them would be sufficient uh, to get the ball rolling, uh, but you need to convert some of them. In order to start uh, to start mass adoption, I'm I'm pretty certain about this. Uh, it's a really hot take, uh, but I haven't seen anyone put their money, put their life savings into a wallet that isn't recommended by a friend. Mm. So um, going from that logic, I would say that's the biggest challenge. The biggest challenge is earning the trust of people, and I think the only way to do it is through early adopters. Totally, totally. Yeah, I, I love this idea. Right, it's like memes are crucial. And so even with yeah. with the recent like ledger debacle was like the meme was that the secure yeah. enclave was totally air gapped. And, and that wasn't just a meme that was like a rumor. That was a meme that had been confirmed supposedly by the ledger team repeatedly on social media, on a lot of their help channels. And it was like, we never have access to it. And then all of a sudden we find out that, well, actually all it takes, we're just one firmware update away from that not being the case. Yeah, un- unfor- unfortunately, I would say that this is a case of marketing debt. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a term, but uh, it's like technical debt, but it's marketing debt, right? So like you're, you're marketing a concept for a long time and then it turns out that this concept isn't exactly like that. So now you're suffering. Uh, and unfortunately, the reality is as a technical person, I can say that um, the issue is rooted in physics, really, because like every hardware device which contains a key, um, also has the potential of this key to be extracted. No matter how much engineering you do and how many secure enclaves and self-destruction methods and etc., if it's a physical device, if it contains a piece of data, the piece of data can be taken out. Um, whether this is through software or through hardware, it can be taken out. So the fact that Trezor is now under fire also for having this vulnerability um, is sad because... A ledger is kind of a ledger is kind of like they there's no way for them to not have this ability to to take the the private key out, but because of again because of marketing and because it's like kind of not open source and uh, the secure enclave is proprietary, so it's really not as easy to demonstrate. Uh, but what I'm saying is that every hardware wallet, by definition, 
contains a secret that can be extracted. And if you're encrypting that secret or using extra entropy for that secret, then this is your solution. Uh, and you can do this with hardware wallets by adding a passphrase, but you, you need to keep in mind uh, first of all, the passphrase is not the pin. Uh, it's a secondary thing that adds extra entropy. Um, and second of all, if you lose it, that's it. Um, so you really need to be careful with it. And it's better to use a simple one rather than a complicated one. Because if someone gets a hold of your treasure, it will gi still give you way more than enough time to move to a different device by recovering with the seed phrase and the, pass, uh, the passphrase that you have in your head. Um, so, yeah. That's it. Yeah. No, I, I think, and, and you mentioned this, right? Is like balancing self-sovereignty and user experience is something that we're still yeah. learning. And I think the one thing that we do really want to focus on is the extent to which we are vulnerable to, say, subpoenas from nation states, uh, which we know yeah. are from a certain hardware wallet perspective, which, again, a lot of folks were under the false pretense that you were totally safe from that type of um, attack. Right is like how how can we build systems that okay not not every there is no perfect solution there's or the the silver yeah. bullet solution is like far too technical and way too complicated right it would require like setting everything up like offline on yeah. your own hardware device and it's just not how we get mass adoption and and so the, the balance between like yeah. making it super seamless and easy and also allowing folks like that self sovereignty i think is crucial and i love that that's you know the idea space that you guys are situating yourself in is like let's make this onboarding process for crypto natives like seamless and a great you know enjoyable experience at the end of the day so i i'd love to like talk about we we started already exploring this but like let's explore the wallet wars right like from a product standpoint, like how do you navigate the various wallets that are in the ecosystem? And, you know, how are you looking to position yourself? You said like brand awareness and, and functionally like the Lindy effect, right? Is like so long as a certain yeah. product has been around for long enough and enough people use it and it's recommended by friends, like that's crucial. And and I can and another anecdote, yeah. right, is like I, I onboarded my, my cousin to a wallet and he onboarded his two siblings to the wallet and then they all lost their like private keys. And then they were like, Hey, like, yeah, thanks so much. Like, thanks for getting us in this crypto thing. Like we lost, you know, a bit of money. Uh, and so they've now been like a little bit burnt. And so, you know, I, I think there yeah. is a huge, huge need for better wallets. Um, a lot of, you know, folks yep. are trying to innovate on this front, but how are you navigating the wallet wars? Where do you like to position yourself and, and, you know, where, where are yeah. you going to keep, keep growing and pushing that envelope? So, um, we already touched on this and, um, what I would say is that we wanna, uh, we the way we see things is we need to start with early adopters. We need to start with power users uh, because they're also struggling. Uh, and then as they start appreciating our product, then um, adoption, the adoption circle will grow organically, and uh, some of the new people will start using this wallet as well. And then we can figure out what, how to optimize, how to optimize for them, and whether it's worth it. Uh, it's worth it to optimize for them, uh, but. Um, my, my whole point here is that uh, wallets are critical exactly in preventing what you're saying, exactly pre preventing the, um, the negative growth of cryptos, if, if, I, if I may say so. Like, uh, every product or every industry uh, will grow exponentially 
uh, if there is word of mouth and if it's usable and if it's valuable. Uh, and um, our industry is definitely valuable, but it's not usable. So like what you what you end up getting is a lot of people getting churned out and a lot of people getting burned. And now at this point, we've kind of uh, sort of tainted ourselves by creating this impression in most people that crypto is either a scam or next to unusable. So that's, that's what we're working uh, against. And that, that's also one reason why we're focusing on early adopters and on believers first, because we believe that the, the, reg- the average Joe uh, is way too like skeptical uh, at the moment to, en- to enter the space. Obviously, greed will do a lot to, to rotate that, to shift that. Because when you have periods of uh, like strong markets, bull markets, people forget about their like negative thesis, right? <laughs> so especially if it goes for long enough, at one point there will be like, no, 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 that's a scam, no, that's a scam. And then at one point they, they will all uh, FOMO uh, in. <laughs> so that's why I think it's, it's really important to stay uh, within our community at the moment and optimize and make it for the perfect product for humans um, but ship it to our community. Mm. So like perfect product that is easy to use uh, because as I said, power users also deserve uh, ease of use and like figure out all these concepts because not even we are aware of like all the terminology and all the concepts and all the mental models that go behind wallets. So let's start by making it clear to our, ourselves and then uh, growing it out uh, and then using good opportunities for this to grow uh, when people are more inclined to like leave their skepticism aside because um, definitely there's a lot of skepticism in, in the like normal world uh, on crypto and another another part of, uh, of this question the other part of the answer would be that um, once again I believe that we're very uniquely positioned as one of the very few wallets that want to do both uh, both power users and ease of use uh, and want to do like a feature-rich product, which is also easy to use. Uh, everyone goes in either one or the other direction. And uh, normally, like every, every book would tell you that you need to be sharp, you need to focus. But at the same time, we believe that here focusing means delivering on both. Because if you deliver only one of those sides, you're delivering a broken product. You're delivering something that no one will use. Uh, And there's a reason why MetaMask kept its dominance. There's a reason why MetaMask um, is not slowing down. And this reason is that it's reliable, more than we'd like to think, even though it fails a lot. It's actually one of the most reliable things in crypto. Uh, And it is sufficiently easy to use for crypto natives. Not exactly, this is very debatable. Um, it's sufficiently easy to start using, but then it's also really easy to get burned. So that's something that we need to address to make like the 10x better product. Um, and it's also really like uh, trustable in a way. It's really established. It's been around for a long time. Uh, so yeah, th- yeah, that's that's the summary. Yeah, I mean, I, I um, you know, I think that there's definitely this trajectory that that a lot of folks go through as, as they navigate the different wallets they use, maybe they start with MetaMask and then they use something else and then they go through something else. And, you know, I think like being able to land at, at a wallet that will give you everything you need, I, I think is the ideal journey for us. Right. And so I'm, I'm excited to see that happen yep. and excited to see that movement sort of continue to, to flourish and grow and, and see wallets really take the center stage of, of mass adoption, particularly with what you said with regards to the average Joe, right? Like I, I surround myself like, 90% of my friends are crypto natives who, 
you know, really believe and, and see the power in, in the technology of blockchain and at really like base principles level. Um, but I think there it, it's always surprising to me, especially like now sort of in the depths of the bear market of, you know, this the degree of skepticism. It's like, no, that stuff's just for like the folks that got in early and da, da, da. so, you yeah. know, I, it, you know, I think that 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 shift in paradigm over, you know, one to two years will be will be crucial um, to have the, the infrastructure ready there. So on that point, like, yeah. what do you see? What are you excited for? Like over the course of the next uh, couple of years, like emerging from the crypto ecosystem, when we think about mass adoption, when we think about utility, like what's on the horizon, you know, outside of the wallet space, but just more broadly speaking, like what, what gets you excited about the future of crypto? SAFE, previously known as Gnosis SAFE, is a decentralized custody protocol securing $60 billion in assets today. It is establishing a universal standard for secure custody of digital assets, data, and identity. SAFE is on a mission to unlock digital ownership for everyone in Web3, including DAOs, enterprise, retail, and institutional users, both through their SAFE core account abstraction infrastructure, and of course, its flagship product, the SAFE wallet, the wallet we all know and love. Start using SAFE for building on top of the SAFE core account abstraction stack by visiting SAFE.global. And now, let's get back to the show. So honestly, I've been so much, so much into so much into wallets that I haven't thought about anything else. But, um, but really important thing to say here is that after all, we need to be thinking of the use case, right? The wallet is just a tool for the use case, um, and the thing is. My my thesis is that there will be use cases, and I'll get to uh, I'll get to I'll get into what use cases. But um, the wallet is gonna whoever wins the the wallet stuff is generally gonna benefit from those use cases. And I don't think uh, I don't think that the wallet has to be necessarily tailored for that use case, at least not from the beginning. As the use case is emerging, obviously all of the wallets would get uh, would get sharpened. Uh, into this use case, but I don't think that I don't think that the right approach is like let's build a wallet for NFTs uh, or let's build a wallet for DeFi. Um, the wallet has to be general purpose because per- people already have crypto; they already have like investments uh, and they need to hold them something somewhere. That's already a use case. We're setting this aside, and then it also needs to be uh, able to connect to DApps so that it can universally do anything. And then as one winner use case emerges, then the wallet needs to be sharpened up. But personally, um, I would say that DeFi is always going to be really close to my heart. Uh, and the reason for this is that um, I, I'm a big user of Aave uh, and I love this concept of lending. I think that it's under underestimated. Um, you can like finance your purchases, finance your life without having to sell your crypto, which is really powerful, both from a tax perspective and from like wealth optimization perspective. Um, then you can use it to like do a, do mild leverage over over your portfolio, uh, which is always better than extreme leverage, right? <laughs> I would never recommend to someone do 2x or 3x on, on uh, Binance and ape away their net worth. Uh, but like doing a 10% leverage is fine, um, in my opinion. So yeah, uh, I would say that DeFi is the thing that I'm most excited about and generally like moving the entire financial system um, to crypto is something I'm really excited about. Now, I do understand that this is extremely niche because uh, it's 2023 and most people have no, um, no concept of the financial system, like not even professionals. 
uh, I mean professionals in like different fields fields than finance. Uh, because I think everyone should understand finance and the financial system to some extent, but that's not the reality. So maybe DeFi will always be niche. Uh, it's something that I'm excited about, but maybe it will stay niche. Um, then NFTs are fantastic because you can use them for so many things, right? Uh, you can use them for like pure collectibles. You can use them um, for like uh, access lists. So like, for example, if I'm part of a club, I would need an NFT. And in many ways, they can replace legal contracts. Um, also, you can uh, like use them as deeds, as registration certificates, as titles. And that's fantastic because then you can plug it into DeFi. Uh, and then you can make DeFi, con- like you can make it consumer friendly. Like imagine the following use case. Like your car is actually, uh, the registration certificate is an NFT. So then you put this NFT into Aave and you get a credit, you get a credit line. So let's say you need 10,000 in cash. Uh, your car is worth 20,000 and um, you could finance that in like five minutes. You don't need to go to the bank. You don't need to get your background checked. You don't need to uh, basically go through this, all of these degrading, um, <laughs> degrading experiences uh, of like the bank having to check you out uh, and having to decide something that that's very clear. Uh, if you do have an asset that's worth X amount of money uh, and stable and secured, you should be able to, uh, to get a credit line of that asset. And this really excites me. Like you can, uh, you will be able to do this in like minutes uh, or even like mint a virtual credit card or whatever and put it in Apple Pay and like be able to spend money um, which is uh, like collateralized by your real world assets. So that's one, that's just one thing, but it all falls within the, within those two things, uh, NFTs and, uh, and DeFi. Games are also really excited because games have always been like really close to this. Um, games have always had some form of tokenization. So uh, I'm curious to see if this will kind of like merge into Web3. Uh, again, there's a lot of skepticism within gamers. So I'm, I'm just watching the space. Yeah. Um, DeFi real world utility is like something I'm deeply passionate about. Right. And, yeah. and I think it's where we have yeah. the, the way I see it is like, let's find where there are inefficiencies in the market. Let's tap into those yeah. and and let's remove those. And banking systems are pretty inefficient markets, right? In the sense yeah. that they it, there's a lot of rent-seeking behavior and economic extraction that happens there with, at this point, minimal value. Sure, 200 years ago, it made sense to have sort of central entities that served as kind of the, the borrowing and lending facilities. But in today's day and age, with smart contracts, uh, with the capacity to collateralize yourself against your digital assets, which at some point will become real world assets as well. I actually did a whole video on how I bought a car with uh, DeFi and, and walk folks through that using liquidity, where I use uh, Ether to take out a loan um, for LUSD and, and went through that entire process and showed folks like, hey, and, and the interest rate was like unbeatable, right? So liquidity's yeah. interest rate is like 0% and the bank was offering me 20% around that, right? And so yeah. just like, from even purely from a financial perspective, it just makes so much more sense to use peer-to-peer networks um, yep. versus these like unnecessarily like clogged and intermediated um, financial systems that we have today. Yeah, um, I actually uh, also bought a car, uh, but I financed it through Ave, and uh, I I couldn't buy this car in, in any other way uh, because uh, I I didn't have the cash in the bank, uh, and I'm really lucky that the seller agreed to like use the T um i convinced him i uh, helped him set up a coinbase account 
Um, so yeah, uh, I would say that it's fantastic and you can use it right now and it's much better than the banking system but uh, another another point to make here is that you guys i would say you guys in the us have it easy uh, and if you hate your banks um, then i don't know what what we can say about our banks in europe uh, basically you want to spend any amount of funds that isn't trivial and you get an email saying your transfer has been blocked because you need to provide like five documents, which you sent them like what, last month already. Uh, it's mm-hmm. extremely inefficient and extremely painful. Um, and it's kind of a culture shock because every time I interact with uh, people from the US, every time they assume that a wire transfer is something easy and relatively painless. <laughs> and um, in Europe, and I'm not talking about Eastern Europe specifically, but I'm talking in like the general europe in general um generally sipa works amazingly uh but when it comes to like with with revolut or with transfer wise now wise uh you can do a sepa transfer for like one minute or 30 seconds but when things go wrong like when the bank like looks at the transaction and says wait this might be fraudulent um then you have you lose like two days uh and it's also the same like with credit cards and with debit cards like you would everything works flawlessly uh but then you pay something uh you pay something in the us and then they block your card and they call you on the phone which is like it's crazy mm-hmm. yeah i'm like i mean living living in guatemala obviously like i get to see firsthand a lot of the issues right now I, it, being in the us i'm just like wow like i mean the financial system does work fairly well here right and, yeah. and i think that's what i always say is like crypto has the strongest product market fit where we have inefficient uh, outdated yeah. financial systems and particularly from a DeFi standpoint right so yep. you know i'm excited for and and like love sort of uh, kind of spreading the adoption and, and awareness use case for crypto in in regions that most need it so yeah. well awesome evo is there anything that we haven't touched on that you think you'd, you'd like to bring up or uh, anything else you'd, you'd like to address well, um, yeah, maybe we can talk about uh, the, the rise of account abstraction because uh, what I would like to say is that we've been working on this for a huge while uh, and we're hugely excited about uh, ERC-4337. And the reason for that is um, not only because it's a big technical improvement to the, uh, to the space, uh, but also because it serves kind of like a shelling point, gets everyone together and gets every, everyone excited about the, the idea. Um, back in 2021, when we raised our seed round, no one cared about this. Uh, no one realized its potential, uh, even though we've already have been working on this for a while. And obviously the safe guys and the Argent guys, uh, a few other worlds as well. But no one like from the VCs had heard about this. Um, so we, we owe it to the 4337 team that, um, that account abstraction is so exciting right now and everyone cares about it and dApps are starting to like fix bugs that they had related to smart contract wallets. So that's fantastic. But uh, the technology itself, it has had a lot of misconceptions about it. Like one of the misconceptions is like when 4337 becomes live, we're going to get all of these features. So that's not true because first of all, you need a different wallet vendor. You need your wallet vendor to be actually an account abstraction wallet for you to get this feature. Like we won't get this feature for the majority of wallets. We won't get this magically for EOAs. Uh, another misconception has been that those features didn't exist before. They've always existed. Uh, 4337 really um fixes a point of risk and a point of centralization in smart contract wallets it doesn't like make smart contract wallets possible they were always possible 
so yeah, there's a lot to talk about this, but I think I touched on the most important points. Uh, and uh, the most important message would be to try out Umbire uh, and to tell us what you think. Uh, we would lo- we love product feedback. Uh, we thrive on it. We think that is the most important thing right now for us. Uh, so I encourage everyone to go to umbire.com, uh, test out the product uh, and uh, tell us what they think. It's currently a web application, but you can also sign up for the mobile beta. Uh, which is going to be out very soon. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Great, Evo. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, I'll just on the account abstraction point, I think you guys have really been pioneering the space alongside, as you said, Safe and Argent and yeah. a few other folks in the ecosystem and and have been like from a number of years back now really kind of saying, hey, this is going to be a breakthrough kind of technological innovation that we really need Absolutely. to start thinking about. So, you know, great to have you on the podcast. Um, definitely, you know, we'll get folks to, to go to Ambire, check out the work you're doing as well. So on that point, where can, where can people find you, the work you're up to, as well as Ambire? So Ambire.com is a nice place to start uh, the website. And then uh, it has links to Twitter, where we have most of our updates. Uh, we also have a newsletter. You can sign up for that again on the website. So basically, the website is the greatest starting point, And also you can join this, the Discord. Um, Discord is quite, is a quite nice place to be. Uh, and a nice place for product feedback. Awesome. Cool. Great, Evo. Well, great having you on the podcast, and we'll see you around the metaverse. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Odyssey, and thank you for joining us on our collective journey as we look to explore where crypto has the opportunity to drive real-world impact in the societies of tomorrow. If you haven't yet already, make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts, and also that you've joined our Telegram community, which you'll find below. I'll see you on the next one.